if you're a child or a child in heart and you need to be helped focus why I preach, I would love, this just kind of goes for any time, if you want to draw why I preach and, and draw what you would listen to or hear, I would love it if you do that and then show me afterwards. Come and show me. I would love to see what you have interpreted what I've said. Got it? That goes for any person, right? <laughs> Those that need particular focus and attention on that. The car language in uh, Central African Republic proved to be difficult for translators of the New Testament, particularly when it came to the word parcelate, or, or how do we understand or translate the word Holy Spirit? I don't know if you know this, but uh, languages, right, there's not always a one-to-one -one word correlation in languages, and so we have to kind of translate, figure out how do you figure out, how do you convey a concept in a word that they may not have, or a concept they may not have? So how could the translator describe the Holy Spirit? Well, one day the translators came across, uh, came across a group of porters uh, carrying uh, bush and water on top of their head and going, uh, uh, going through the, 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 the forest and, and on their way. And, but they found it interesting is that one of these guy, people wasn't carrying anything on their head. There was a line of them with everything on their head, and one did not have something on their head. And so they assumed, oh, that must be the boss of the rest of them, right? The supervisor, like this is the person that's making sure they're doing it right, which is a role that I would typically play, <laughs> particularly in construction or hard labor. Uh, and some of you have been evidence of that. So, but they actually found out that person wasn't the boss. That person actually had a special job. And if any one of the other porters got tired or exhausted and fell to the ground, that one that had nothing on their head would fall down with them, pick up their bundle, and carry it for them. The porter in that, in that language, in the car language, was known as the one who falls down beside us. The translator knew immediately, this is the word for the Holy Spirit. This is the word for parslet. How would you describe the Holy Spirit to someone who asked how would you describe it? If someone to ask you and didn't know, or, or maybe you need to know for yourself, how would you describe and translate and explain the Holy Spirit? Jesus explains to us that the Holy Spirit is our enabler, the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and the Holy Spirit is our reminder. The Holy Spirit is our enabler, enables us to do things, is the, teaches, teaches us all things that we need to know, and then reminds us of the things that we forget. This is the role. This is who the Holy Spirit is in our life. John 14, 15 through 70. We'll just go a couple of verses back from today. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I ask my Father, and he gives you the, another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so we, we talked about last week that Jesus asked. He prays to the Father on our behalf and he prays for the Father to give us another helper, another uh, advocate as we learned what that word means last week. That, that paraclete means another advocate advocate, a, a, a defense attorney to come by and to advocate for us, which also implies that there was a previous helper, and Jesus is that previous 
advocate for us. And Jesus says, look, I'm going away. I'm asking. The Father is going to give you another helper, the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit will dwell with you forever. More than that, will reside in you forever. So this is a special gift. We need to understand what the Holy Spirit is, that the one who dwells and resides in us forever. In verses 18 to 20, it says, I will not leave you, Jesus, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. And that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This, this concept of orphans, we, we have this concept of orphans, but for their co- uh, culture context, an orphan was anyone who lost one parent. So if you only had a single parent, you were considered an orphan. But also, if you, a lot of people would come under the educational system, the higher educational system, you were sat under a rabbi. Not everyone got to sit under a rabbi and, and learn from him and be a disciple of a rabbi. But if your rabbi, your leader, your teacher died, then you were an orphan as well. And so this is, a, this is exactly the situation that's going to happen to the apostles, is that Jesus is going to die. He's going to leave them, and his disciples are going to be orphans. Their teacher is not going to be present, which is why Jesus says, I've asked for the Father to send you another helper to teach you. So Jesus said, you're going to lose me, but I'm going to provide for you another helper, another master, an- my spirit to guide you. And verse 19 says, in a little while, you will see me no more, but you will see me more. The direct understanding, what is he talking about? What, what is this moment in this? Is, is it, how will we see Jesus again? What is he referencing? A couple, there's three different possibilities here. There is, it's the resurrection. They're going to see him. He's going to leave, and he's going to come back after the resurrection. They're going to see him because he's going to indwell in them with the Holy Spirit. Or it's the second coming. Now, you might think the direct reference, because what we're talking about here in the verses surrounding it, is the Holy Spirit, but I'm actually going to, the, the more obvious connection is, it's Jesus' resurrection, and he's talking about, you are literally going to see me after I rise again, that I'm going to resurrect from the grave, and you are going to see me. But there is a double meaning here, because Jesus says, I am going to be with you. My spirit is going to be with you. And this is really important concept of the Holy Spirit. In the day of the resurrection and the day you receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, you will know that the Father is in the Son. And this has been a repeated thing that Jesus has said throughout the Gospel of John, is that the Father and the Son are one. I I really want you to understand this, right? The Father and the Son are one. I am one with the Father and what what He wills, I will. What He thinks, I think. This is how it works. But then He goes on to say, in the day of the resurrection... You're going to know that the Father and the Son are one, but also this is true, that you and I are one. The, the, the purpose of the resurrection is so that God can dwell with us, that we can reside with Him, that He can reside with us, that we are one just like the Father and the Son are one in part. There is a mystical union that we are. This is actually the only, this is salvation. I want you to understand this very clearly. The reason why we are saved is because we are united 
to Christ. We are not saved disconnected from Christ. It is only because we are united with Christ that we are saved. I want you to think about this. This is why Jesus comes in human form, the incarnation. So he becomes united in our flesh. Then he takes on at the cross our brokenness, the penalty for our sin. So he pays that penalty because he's uniting himself with us. And then because he defeats death, we are united with him. We get to be resurrected as well. This is, this, we are united, connected. That's how we are saved. If you are not united and connected with Jesus, you are not saved. Your sins are not forgiven. You will not live forever. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think of what Paul's saying. It's like, Paul's saying after the fact, I have been crucified with Christ. When Christ was on the cross, I was crucified on the cross. Why is that? Because there's this mystical union that Christ has connected me to him. My sins have been paid at the cross. And it's not that I live right now, but it's Christ in me. How does Christ live in you? It's not a little human that lives in your heart. It's the spirit which he gives us. His spirit. Right? Think about it. And the life I now live in this human flesh. How do we live? We live by trust alone. We live by faith alone in what he has accomplished and that we are connected to him, that we are united to him. In addition, we are united to Christ because of the death and resurrection. Were you united with Christ? How else are we united with Christ? He alludes to it here. Because he gives us his spirit, which indwells in us. Two things. The cross and resurrection and the Holy Spirit. Unite us with Christ. That is how we are saved. That is the mechanism of us. Which leads us to the first explanation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus explains to us that the Holy Spirit it is our enabler. Now I know most in our... Uh, connotation for the word enabler is negative, right? We, you, you all, we talk about enabling someone, we, it's usually that we enable someone that they ought not to do, right? And so, ah, you're an enabler. You're allowing them to do things they shouldn't be doing. That is not the context of which I am using that. But this Holy Spirit is an enabler which allows us to do things that we couldn't do without him. That's how it enables us, actually gives us the power to do the things that we couldn't do otherwise. John Calvin, in his Institutes of Christian Religion, I told you that Calvin has more doctrine on the Holy Spirit, sets the foundation for all of us, says it this way, faith is a singular gift of God, both in that the mind of man is purged so as to be able to taste the truth of God and that his heart is established therein. For the Spirit is not only the initiator of faith, but it increases it by degrees until by it, it leads us to the kingdom of heaven. That this Spirit indwells in us, is given to us as a gift only by God. We can't obtain or earn the Spirit. It's God's gift to us. Jesus asked, would you give them the Spirit to the Father? 
It, it initiates faith in us. It allows us to profess. It allows us to love. It allows us to proclaim who Jesus is, understand and know who God is. And then the Holy Spirit doesn't just stop there with an initiation of faith. It continues to grow in our faith. And that's where you and I lie in this battle that, we, that the, the Spirit is waging with the brokenness of ourselves, right? The struggle that we have with the sin, the broken flesh of ourselves, the desires, right? And so the Spirit is waging battles as we live each day, increasing faith. Now, it's not a trajectory that just goes straight up, right? We know in our life that it struggles up and down, but it ultimately goes, what God starts, He finishes in us, and then ultimately it leads right to the kingdom of heaven. The Spirit enables us to be united with Christ. Just by Jesus at the dying on the cross and resurrection wouldn't be enough. The Spirit has to indwell in us to understand that even that moment and to grow in our knowledge of God. Uh, John 14, 21 uh, says it this way, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We are only able to keep the law of God, live out his character. That's what the law of God is, God's character, because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We actually only have a desire to keep the law of God because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying uh, obey God's law is love. Love, that's what it says there, right? You keep your commandments because you love. You realize this as a parent, that the only way you actually want your kids to obey you is because they love you, not because they're fear of punishment, not because it's a requirement, because they actually love you, and they know they are loved as well. The indwelling spirit changes our character of sin, of brokenness, to a spirit of obedience and of love. Uh, just a, a little rabbit hole for us for a little minute, just because why not? Have you ever wondered why Jesus is baptized? And in that moment when he is baptized, there is the spirit descends upon him. Like, is, aren't Jesus and the spirit the one? Isn't it his spirit? Is it, why does this happen in the gospels? This doesn't make any sense at all. Well, first of all, Jesus' baptism is different than our baptism. He's baptized in a baptism of repentance, that's not how we are baptized into it. We're baptized into Jesus. But it has to do, let's, let's do some heavy lifting here, the two natures of Christ. Right? There's two natures of Christ. He, he is fully God, always, and he's fully human. He comes in human form, and he's not half human, and he's not half God. He's fully God, always, and he's fully human. This is, why, uh, this is why Jesus, how he's present today, no one sees Jesus, right? Do you physically see Jesus, anyone? Okay, we're good. <laughs> right? Jesus is present because his spirit is present. That's what we mean. He's, he's present in your heart because his spirit indwells in your heart. So here's what we say about the two natures of Christ. Right? This is the creed of Chalcedon. This is a lot of uh, heresy that had to be fought off. We won't go that deep into why this is. 100% God always. These two natures of Christ are never intermingled, but they're never separated. What? 
This is, this is, I mean, you can't talk about Christ as only human, and you can't talk about him as only God. They have to be talked about together. But you can't separate, the, you can't intermingle those two natures. They're different natures. Just like you and I will never be God because we are human. They're, they're never separated in Christ and never mingled. Now, if you don't understand that completely, great, you're in good company, but that's just the way we have to talk about this because the problem if we don't, there gets a lot of heresies that we won't go into today. But here's the point. Why is Jesus baptized? It's a baptism response, but here's, here's a short answer. Jesus is baptized and is given the spirit in that moment, even though it's his spirit, as a model of obedience to all of us. Meaning, I just want you to think about our lives. The spirit comes, initiates faith, it grows faith, and then it brings us to the kingdom of heaven. It, 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 it unites us with God. And so Jesus is... His whole life is to model repentance. Does Jesus need to repent from anything? No. But he's repenting for us, going to the cross for us. And so that model of the Spirit comes first and then grows in him. It's a model for us. John 14, 31. Jesus says, but I I do as the Father has commanded me, a model, so that the world may know that I love the Father, Rise, let us go from here. That, that model of growing in love. That model of growing in, I do what the Father does because I love him. Happens after the baptism. His ministry doesn't start until after the baptism. The divine nature is one all the time with the Spirit. Always with the Spirit. But the human nature becomes one with the Spirit at the baptism. That's a mystery, I know. Don't dig too much into that. Uh, Calvin says this more in the Institute. says, God's Spirit is our pledge during that time that we wait to be taken out of the transitory life and to be set free from all miseries, especially the bondage of sin, which is the heaviest form of those things. We must rest on this, that God's Spirit dwells on us in us that point that Calvin's get is that the spirit enables us right that we live in this transitory life this life that is being grown that the spirit is growing in us faith taking away the uh, the spirit of sin in us and growing in us we reside in the midst of this conflict our trust and our confidence it is in this the spirit dwells in us that this is his work he enables us to do this. Going on back to John 14, verses 23 to 24, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. The Holy Spirit enables us to express faith, enables us to grow in faith, it, it, it actually, the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. And therefore, because of all those things, the Holy Spirit, we begin to understand who God is. Only then. And we begin to grow in love. And this is what this verse is saying, right? The only reason why we obey, we keep God's word, is because we actually love. And if we don't love, we don't actually keep his words. Now, you and I 
will struggle at times, right? You're like, but I love God and I don't keep his words. Yeah, that's because we're in this battle. The Holy Spirit is doing something in you. He's working and growing in this, right? Giving you the ability to understand God's love, what is actually love, not the definition of love in the world, and then strengthen us to actually live out that love. We talked about that this week. Love is just not a concept. It's actually an action. And so we actually have to live it out, which is the obedience. Love is a thought and an action. So we move out of, we are able to obey love and not be in rebellion because the Holy Spirit begins to enable, does a work in us. It's the same thought that Paul gives in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. There's that connection of the spirit and Christ in your hearts. Through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength being enabled by power and strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, did you hear that what Paul is saying? Is that the Holy Spirit empowers, enables to comprehend God, to comprehend his love the fullness of him. All right, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit, it explains to us that the Holy Spirit is our enabler. He's also our teacher. I am not your teacher. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. John 14, 25 to 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, when it says all things, don't, all right, as a uh, person who's in school, don't think, aha, I've got the Holy Spirit. I will now know all things I don't need to study. <laughs> don't try to pull that on your parents uh, or your teachers. It won't work, and you'll fail your tests uh, on this. <laughs> all things that pertain to God. <laughs> all things that pertain to living out faith. That's what Jesus is a, is a teacher. He is, he is a rabbi. That's what they call him. And his, his students are disciples, which means the students themselves. So that this, this is the relationship they have. And, and rabbis at, they, at that point would recruit people to come learn under them. And it wasn't just to have knowledge, cognitive knowledge in their head, but actually you, he would tell them, I think you can know what I know and do what I do. So being a disciple of a teacher was actually an action as well, too. I'm going to live out the character in which you're going to teach me as well. And so this is how Jesus is a teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher as well, just as Christ is. The Spirit of Christ is given to us to teach us. D.A. Carson in his commentary says this, The Spirit's ministry in this respect, teaching, was not to bring qualitative new revelation. So it's not new teaching he's giving, but to complete, to fill out the revelation brought by Jesus himself. This is really important. The Holy Spirit is not giving you new teaching, but giving, filling out what Jesus has taught. So if you hear someone say, hey, the Holy Spirit has revealed to me something radically new, and it's not even contained within Scripture, be wary. I'm not sure that's the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit is going to fill out what the Christ has already begun to taught his apostles and his disciples. The, notice that the Father and the Son send the Spirit. He says, look, the Father will send in my name. The Father will give you this advocate in my name. Now, this is kind of a key word, in, in my name. It means as an emissary, not as a substitute. The Spirit can't do what Jesus does. They are one, but they have different roles. The Spirit is an emissary. It's spent on a special mission to do what? To enable, to teach, to remind. It's the same way that the Father sends the Son, John 5, 43. I have come in my Father's name as an emissary, and you do not receive me if another comes in his own name. You will receive him. This is, there is no hierarchy in the triune God. There's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's no hierarchy. There's no one, no one that is greater than the other. Ontologically, by their very nature, there's not one greater. However, in the way the economy, fancy word for work, the work of the redemption, we are revealed that there is a hierarchy or a particular order how things are played out. And this is the, the economy of the redemption. The Father sends the Son. The Father doesn't die on the cross. The Son chooses to take on humanity. The Son chooses to die on the cross. The Father and Son then send the Holy Spirit to an act to make able to connect further what, the, what Jesus has done for us to teach, to remind us of those things. Not a hierarchy in, in, in their very character, but in the way the economy of how salvation plays out for us. There is an, a purpose and role for each one. Likewise, we, are, we know that the scripture is inspired and, and by the Holy Spirit. That the, the primary way to understand that the Holy Spirit teaches us today is through the scripture. The recording of God's word. On our webpage, we have, uh, uh, on the, where you listen to sermons on our webpage, it says, it quotes the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 89. It says, what makes the word effective for salvation? What makes the word of God, what makes scripture effective for salvation? The answer, the spirit of God. Causes the reading, especially the preaching of the word, to convince and convert sinners and to build them up in holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. So here's the thing. Uh, it's not my words that do this. It's God's words. I prepare, I, I, help, I study, I, I pray to God, God, give me understanding of what's going on with your words so I can teach. And then as a vessel like any one of us could do, the Holy Spirit can speak through us to teach his word. And listen, when I fail, here's the thing, the Spirit can still work. Because God decided to use broken vessels like me, broken vessels like you, to ordinary work his sanctification out through each other. Hey, that wouldn't have been my plan, but that was God's plan, to use broken people. Not saying I would have a better plan, it wouldn't have worked. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is the emissary from the Father, Son, and he teaches us primarily through the reading and through the preaching of scriptures. 
And this, this is why we talk about the, the authority of Scripture, the, the importance of the sola scriptura, uh, the, because it's the Holy Spirit who's the author of Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that actually interprets and helps us to understand Scripture. And why is that? It's, it's the Scripture themselves have no authority. They're just words, but they, were, they have power and authority because God is the authority. That is the only reason they have authority, because they're God's words and he is the authority. Calvin says in an institutes, he, the Holy Spirit, enlightens us to make us understand things which otherwise would have been hidden from us and to receive God's promises with all obedience. That is the first part of his work. The first part of his work is for the Holy Spirit, for you to hear the word of God and for him to help you to understand it and then profess it. Because all scripture... The basic foundation of Scripture is to teach you about who God is and what He's done. The Holy Spirit is our enabler. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And He is our reminder. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, a, a nice way of thinking about it is that for Harry Potter fans, you know, Neville Longbottom had this remember-all, right? And remember-all is this glass ball that turns red when the owner forgets something, and so it reminds him that he has forgotten something. It actually doesn't remind you what you've forgotten. It just reminds you that you've forgotten something, and then it's clear when you haven't forgotten something. But the Holy Spirit reminds us when we have forgotten something, and then also reminds us of that thing that we ought to remember. The Holy Spirit is our remember-all. However, how does it do it? It's because the Holy Spirit indwells with us. Brings to us the remembrance of things that we need to know about God, that we've already learned about God, and that we need to know about God, salvation, and all of our obedience to Him. Our education system has primarily been based mostly on the model that the best students are the ones that memorize. Now, I'm not saying that's the best students, uh, but that's the, been the model that we've had for a long time. The best students are ones that memorize things. But here's the thing. Even the best students that can memorize the most are humans and will forget. They will forget. But the Holy Spirit says, he will remind us of the things that we have learned when we need to know them. There's confidence. The confidence that we have in scriptures is not only because the Holy Spirit inspired, because it, the New Testament was written with people directly connected to Jesus that heard the teaching, that heard directly. And, and that culture, that culture was better at memorizing things. They didn't have recording devices. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have books. They had scrolls, but that was rare. So when they heard things, it was an oral society, they remembered them and they repeated them over and over and over again. And the confidence that we have is not in the scriptures, not just because the Holy Spirit inspired it, because almost all of them are directly connected to an apostle, the brothers of Jesus, or connected to, to connecting right directly to Jesus. They, they heard what Jesus taught. And so they were dying off, and so they put these things down so the world could know them. The Holy Spirit inspired them to write them. You and I 
do not have to memorize back like that because our culture is not like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Hear that very clearly. Don't think I'm saying, pastor says I don't have to memorize any scripture. I don't, no, no, no. What, what, I, what I'm saying is that you and I have the gift of Scripture, and so the more we read it, the more we're in church, the more we're hearing the Word of God together, the more we're studying together, the more you actually are memorizing it. Here's the thing that the Holy Spirit can do. It'll help the Holy Spirit to bring back things and recall them to you when you need them. This actually happens every week when I write a sermon. I mean, I have my whole, I have a fancy computer. You, my computer program can search anything in a moment and connect anything in a moment. But sometimes it's overwhelming. But most of the time what happens is as I'm studying the passage, a light clicks. And like, what about that scripture? And it gives me a rabbit, like, the Holy Spirit gives me that scripture. And I go down and rabbit, hey, this connects. Or sometimes it doesn't connect. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, this happened two weeks ago. Calvin doesn't even know this. But he had a conversation with me. We weren't talking about anything. And he said some scripture, and it changed everything about my sermon. Because it connected directly to the thoughts I was thinking. And it was what I needed, because I didn't like my sermon that week. And it changed everything about it. And I didn't give him credit. I didn't tell him that until now, because I didn't want to boost up his ego. It wasn't him. It was the Holy Spirit, right? But this is how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And the more we time, we spend time in scripture, that next thing you know, or we're with someone, Scripture will come to us. A truth will come to us. He reminds us of the things that we've been taught. John 14, 29. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus taught them all these things, even when they didn't understand what was going to happen. Even when they didn't understand the death and resurrection. And he taught them all of that so that when the resurrection did happen and the Holy, the Holy Spirit dwelt within them, that they would actually begin to recall the things that he taught them. In fact, when we read, like, you read all these things, you make, oh, it makes this disciples look really silly and stupid. But here's the thing. The disciples wrote this book. They're putting themselves in the stupid light because it's all after the fact. They're recalling. You remember this? You remember this? Yeah, he said this. That was the Holy Spirit recalling them, giving them recall of what Jesus taught them. How would you describe the Holy Spirit to someone? Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit is our enabler, is our teacher, is our reminder. Another way perhaps we could say is just like in the car language. The Holy Spirit is the one who falls down beside us. When we are fallen And when we have forgotten, the Holy Spirit falls down with us, enables us to love and obey and to recall. To recall what Jesus has taught us. When we fall down and listen to the lies of the world, the Holy Spirit falls down with us and teaches us the truth of God. When we fall down and forget who we are and who God is, And what he does, the Holy Spirit is the one that resides with us, falls down with us to remind us who we are, that we are his beloved, and who God is, that he is love, that what he has done, that he has died, that he has paid the price, that he has resurrected, that he has defeated death, that he's indwelt his Holy Spirit in us. 
brothers and sisters, we are not orphans. We have not lost our teacher. Our teacher resides in us. God is with us. The Holy Spirit dwells and falls with us wherever we go. Let us pray. Gracious Father, merciful and loving Son, we give you thanks for this gift, this immeasurable gift of the Spirit, of your Spirit, a Spirit we could never earn, that we struggle to understand. Thank you. Thank you for removing all the barriers in our life so that you can dwell with us and we can dwell with you for uniting us with you, for loving us so much that you want this, to remove that barrier of sin day in and day out. Lord, help us. Help us to love. Help us to, to learn about you. Help us. Teach us, Lord, through your scriptures, through being in communion with the body of Christ together reminding us of what we have forgotten as we go through these troubled days. Blessed be you. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. And all God's children said, amen. amen.